uh, this time it was from News Hub Read Research, and they found, I mean, you probably already know this, it was big news in the last couple of days, but Labor's support slightly up at 44.3 and national support rising 2 to 31, and that came mostly at the expense of ACT. And the results came as something of a surprise to political reporters and commentators, many of whom have spent the last few weeks kind of lambasting the government over the requisitioning of rapid antigen tests and the really genuine hardships caused, caused by its MIQ system. So... This is how Mike McRoberts announced the result on News Hub at 6. Despite Omicron arriving on our shores and a strong current of anger and frustration over MIQ, the government is still somehow riding its pandemic popularity wave. Support for Labour has increased in our latest News Hub Read Research poll. Yes, yeah, so that's Mike McRoberts introducing it, Labour somehow increasing its support. And uh, in the newly uh, minted AM, not the AM show anymore, just AM. Uh, the host, Ryan Bridge, was similarly incredulous. He put it like this. Um, first of all, that poll last night, there would have been a lot of people watching thinking, how on earth is she doing it? Now, that's Ryan Bridge talking to Jenna Lynch on AM. Just side note as well, the Green result went, about, uh, went against the conventional wisdom. I think they were polling at 9.6%, and they've had internal squabbles, and they've received criticism in the media. I think it was for issuing 80 press releases to X 220 or more. So, I mean, they also kind of had this result that defied the conventional wisdom in the media. Saving on their digital footprint, perhaps. But anyway, what... Yeah, what, ecologically friendly. What did the journos put the good poll down to then? Yeah, so Three's new political editor, Jenna Lynch, had, a, <laughs> had an answer for that. On AM, she said the announcements around booster shots were part of the picture, but the night before, on that News Hub at 6, uh, hosted by Mike McRoberts, she was actually quite definitive as to the reason for the strong result for Labour. This is what she said. And Gina, is Labour's result a sign that the public has really swung behind their Omicron plan? Yeah, that border opening announcement last week saved them from a bad poll. Yeah, but did it? I mean, was that true? I mean, as several people have pointed out, Labour's announcement was at the very about more. Labour's announcement about the end of MIQ came at the very end of the polling period, just the final day of polling. And I think the left-wing political commentator Shane Tapoe was one of those who took an exception to, or took exception to the idea that the opening up announcement and the new Omicron plan had a bearing on the poll. So he offered this alternative bit of analysis on the following morning's nine to noon. Uh, a little bit of a, an explanation that maybe it got some of an uptick for the border announcement last week, etc. Bringing no. forward the boosters, but Shane, no, no, it was too late true. in the poll, wasn't it? It was way too late in the poll no, to have that, big impact. That, look, that that that, that narrative simply does not hold water. A four-day poll, the announcement was made on the last day. I think here's the big picture stuff. I think that Kiwis think the fundamentals in terms of uh, COVID response were absolutely right. Well, that's Shane DePoe on 9 to Noon offering uh, a very pro-Labour take on this poll. Yes, I was going to ask you, it's not exactly an objective source. I mean, actually... Even News Hub's own polling appeared to contradict, and this was really funny. I mean, it appeared to contradict uh, Jenna Lynch's analysis there. So, I mean, it had appended this additional question to the political poll, and it was asking whether people would support keeping the border closed to keep Omicron out. And to the to that question, a majority, 56% of people answered yes, while only 36% said no. 
And again, that really flies in the face of what has become accepted media wisdom that, I mean, MIQ is, in the Herald's words, a barnacle on the government, or in RNZ's recent words, a, a festering boil for the government. Uh, doesn't really, I mean, 56% popularity would be just about the most popular festering boil in history, I'd expect. And uh, despite that, there doesn't appear to be just a whole lot of self-reflection from commentators as to why their preconceptions and uh, just this accepted wisdom about MIQ is seemingly so out of touch with the electorate. And I mean, on that point, it's possible that I think our journalists are kind of ensconced in their own bubble. I mean, there's a few different factors there. The industry is still primarily white. It's staffed by people from mainly middle-class backgrounds. Many journalists travel themselves, know people who travel, travel for work. Uh, those people are increasingly put out by MIQ, and it's sometimes, you know, genuine tragedies that it's creating. Uh, the people they talk to are often involved in running businesses or advocating for businesses. And those people are, of course, more bothered and uh, hampered by MIQ. And there's also the fact that journalists as a whole, not all, obviously, but maybe a more able-bodied and so maybe less concerned about the possible implications of ditching MIQ than someone who's maybe medically vulnerable or disabled. But they're also, and I think this is probably finally the biggest factor, we're much more plugged into and influenced by media stories. We think the news is really impactful. And actually, we probably have to remember, a lot of people don't really read it that much. So I mean, all those factors could be skewing our radars or skewing the commentators' radars when they sort of blithely write off MIQ as a festering boil on the back of some negative media coverage. Were there any other reasons suggested for Labor's strong showing? Uh, yeah, Patrick Smelly at Business Desk, he walked a middle path. I mean, he didn't just accept, he didn't sort of uh, say that actually it's because we're opening up that the poll was so good, but he he, he blamed this uh, poll result on a kind of political calcification. He said existing attitudes are hardening and becoming more entrenched. In his eyes, you know, both sides of the political debate pretty much talking past each other at this point. You know, businesses may see stuff like requisitioning rapid antigen, antigen tests or, you know, the bureaucratic inflexibility over MIQ scandals, but maybe government supporters are just tuning that out now and seeing uh, it is more complaining from what he says, you know, a sector that has always put profits over people from the start of the pandemic. It's all of its supposition, though, isn't it? It's all opinion. Well, this is it. I guess this is my major point. I mean, I was sort of pontificating before, but really, who knows? Who knows with any of this? I mean, Patrick Smelly began his column with a warning to journalists not to trust Twitter for their reads on the electorate, but then he blamed this poll result on a kind of hyper-partisanship that I think I've seen more often in Twitter and Facebook and other places than in real-life interactions. And I mean, I just gave you my best guess about the public being more conservative on MIQ policy than the media, and that's maybe based on some polls and you know a bit of an educated guess. But I, I wouldn't say it's completely scientific. And I just think the 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 point, the, the 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 take that I would have about this poll analysis is that it's essentially guesswork. It's it's kind of a glamorized tarot reading. And every time we have one of these polls, we have this armada of political commentators that come out and storm the airwaves and. We're all kind of just reading the tea leaves with this sort of thin top dressing of savvy and intellectualism. And it struck me considering this poll just how much of our media ecosystem is kind of 
filled with this vibes-based analysis, which is just really people projecting their own biases and experiences and opinions on the news of the day and then uh, assuming that their own personal experience is the collective experience or their own opinion is the collective's experience. I mean, we had an opinion piece from Kate Hawksby today saying the drop in testing numbers is because we all have COVID fatigue. And maybe that's the case, or it could be summer and people don't have symptoms or that the actual COVID positivity rate when taken as a percentage of tests is, just shows that we don't have that much COVID around yet. That we could probably do with the, uh, checking our assumptions and our biases and uh, looking at the potential ways that our experience skews our analysis a little bit more regularly, even if we're just doing opinion or analysis. I mean, that is, of course, except for Media Watch, which is the only truly objective outlet in town. <laughs> yes. Sorry, don't mean to laugh. Okay. Uh, I know a place where opinion uh, checking and assumptions and biases won't really be a regular feature in a new media venture. No, so Sean Plunkett is uh, hosting a new media venture called The Platform, and he went on the spin-off founder Duncan Grease podcast, The Fold, this week to deliver a few details about what he'll be offering on that. It's for what I perceive to be a large number of New Zealanders who feel disconnected from news media at present and disconnected from discussion about what is happening in the country and where the country is heading. So that's Sean Plunkett on the fold. And we did get a few details about what the talkback station, it's an online talk station, will entail. It'll be launched probably, he's saying, sometime mid-March. The lineup will be Sean Plunkett and Breakfast, Michael Laws, you might remember that name, 9 mm, to 12. Very well Breakfast. worked with him, yep, on live. <laughs> Leanne Malcolm, 12 to 3, Martin Devlin, uh, 3 to 6. And its website will feature some aggregated opinion from the likes of sort of Chris Trotter, Martin Bradbury, uh, Bomber Bradbury, uh, Don Brash, Michael Bassett, Carl Dufresne, these sorts of voices. The only name I find uh, unusual in there is Leanne Malcolm. She sort of bucks a trend, right? Because really what this is, is he's platforming these people that have been pushed aside by the mainstream media players and I mean several of them including Plunkett after experiencing some type of scandal or social media backlash and I mean Grieve notes that the lineup's mostly white men and maybe that's just a function of of that fact. He asked whether it was kind of a pushback against this recent uh, call for more diversity of voices in media. Plunkett said of course that's not the case and he's in his words more interested in what's between his employees ears than their legs but it is kind of hard to ignore that context that some of these people have been pushed out of these mainstream platforms as the media has tried to become more diverse and not quite so dominated by Pākehā men and uh, I think the platform is at least predicated on the idea that there is a big audience out there that didn't feel ready for that change. You think they'll get an audience? I mean hard to say online radio isn't exactly I mean people uh, radio seems like a bit of a habitual medium where people are kind of plugged in I don't know how many people are going to go online and seek it out? But he's probably right that there are some people that feel a bit aggrieved that the, you know, Michael Laws of the world and the Sean Plunkett's of the world are off Magic Talk and they don't have access to them anymore. So maybe there will be some people that seek them out. I'm not 100% sure. The narrative here is that he's going up against cancel culture, right? And undoubtedly, 
there are real excesses on social media when it comes to cancel culture and people are punished disproportionately to the offence that they actually um, put out there or commit on social media. That's a real thing and it's a function of the design of social media. Whether the demise of Michael Laws and Sean Plunkett is cancel culture, that's another thing. I don't really think so because, I mean, it seems like it's just mainstream media uh, hiring different types of people, moving with society and maybe some of the things that uh, used to, you know, fly under the radar, the kind of unkindnesses and racisms and hurtful speech that flew under the radar in the past is no longer acceptable. And is that cancel culture if they want to move on from that? I'm not sure it is. I don't think that's cancel culture so much as that's progress.